John Zuratsky is the New York Times best-selling author of the famous book Sprint, How to Solve Big Problems, and his newest book, Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. This isn't another time optimization routine habit setting book. This is a book that's going to actually enable you to change your environment in order to become the person that you want to be. For nearly 15 years, John was a designer for tech companies at Google Ventures and helped develop startups including Uber, Slack, and Nest. It's no longer about productivity, life hacks, time-saving little tricks. It's about creating time for what actually matters in your life and to rethink the defaults of constant busyness and distraction. You guys really don't want to miss out on this one. And while you're listening to this podcast, if anything sticks out to you that John or I say, definitely go ahead and take a screenshot Put it up on social media, your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us, and we will definitely give you the love that you deserve. Without further ado, John Zaratsky. So, John, the first question that I like to ask my guests is, how do you spend your time here on planet Earth? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a big question. And it's one that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about because we, we only get one life on earth and, uh, and, and not all of those years are under our control. So, um, you know, sometimes people, I'm 35 and sometimes people, my friends, peers, people who are around my age, maybe a little bit older, they start to complain about, oh, you know, I'm going to turn 40 or whatever. Um, my life is half done. Mm. And I kind of feel like the first 18 years or, you know, depending on how you were raised, 16 maybe or maybe 20. For me, like the first 18 years, I don't feel like we're really under my control. Oh, yeah. like those were um, the years during which I was being guided um, and directed by my parents and by other people. And so I feel like I'm just getting started in terms of the the part of my life that I have control over. But that's a long a long uh, detour on the way to answering your question, which is I spend my time writing and reading and telling people about ways that they might make better use of their time at work and, and in their personal lives by rethinking a lot of the default behaviors. So not just going on autopilot, doing what everybody says you're supposed to do, but how they might uh, be more proactive and intentional with their time. Wow. Absolutely phenomenal answer, man. What you said about, you know, the first 18, 16, whatever it is for each person, man, that I think that's so, so relatable because, you know, at least for me, for me, it was the first 19 years, but it was really just, um, you know, when I look back at that now, for me, it's just kind of like this, uh, like this awakening of, uh, of my existence and then just seeing like, you know, why all these different things about myself and why I do these certain yeah. things. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I think everyone is still kind of in that stage, but I think we've definitely moved up. But, um, you know, what I want to ask you is when you were 
you know, transitioning between those two different things when you were um, maybe becoming conscious? I don't know how old you were. were was there anything that pushed you towards it? Was it a, a gradual accumulation? Were there any uh, pivoting events that made you look at life in a different way? Like so many changes that happen, it was gradual and then all of a sudden, <laughs> it was uh, a lot of little things gathering together. Mm. Um, but it really happened for me when I was in college. Um, I I went into college planning to study engineering because really that's because what my, my parents encouraged me to do. And I was a really good student and I always got good grades in everything. Um, including math and science. And so it was like, okay, you know, I like to tinker with stuff. I love projects. I love to make things. Engineering, that seems like a good fit. And so really the first like year and a half of college, I would say I was on autopilot, just following that default path that I was already on. Mm. And I realized that I just didn't like what I was studying. And I thought, I don't know if this was a fair assessment, but I thought to myself, if I don't like learning about it, am I going to like doing it? And again, I don't know if that's fair or not. Like there's people who who love being doctors, but maybe didn't like medical school. I don't know. But um, but I felt like if I don't like learning about engineering, if I don't like learning about math and um, and science, I mean, I like science, but if I don't like studying this stuff, am I really going to enjoy um, the work that's based on it? So I just kind of went through this period when I was in college of of just trying everything and just like not worrying about what my ma- major was, not worrying about when I was going to graduate, not worrying whether it all made sense or not. And so I uh, got really involved in music. Uh, I played in some bands, did a lot of music recording and production. I got into design. Um, so like graphic design and then web design, interaction design. And uh, and I realized that that I you know, a lot of what I had been doing as a kid, the making stuff and the tinkering and the projects, that was more aligned with design than with an engine with than with engineering. Design is sort of the like phase where you're figuring things out. You're, you're you know, there's something cool you could do. You know, there's an opportunity, but you're not quite sure how to do it. Engineering is like more of the, okay, you figured out the plan. Now it's time to to make it happen. And so, really, what was transformative for me was um, was getting a job when I was in college as a designer at a newspaper. It was a daily paper. And one of my one of my core philosophies is to try to get in as many reps as possible um, on whatever it is I'm doing. So look for opportunities to try things, to fail or succeed, to learn, to repeat. And doing design at a daily newspaper was an amazing way to do that because literally every single day I would design the paper, we'd put it to bed, we'd send it to the printers, it would get printed. And then if we screwed up, we'd fix it again the next, or we'd do it again the next day. We could fix whatever mistakes we made. And um, there were, there were a bunch of other things going on. That's when I, I met my, my, uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. That's when I made a lot of my really close friends. But um, just in terms of my work, I think that that experience um, kind of forgetting about what I was supposed to do and just following um, just giving myself a chance to explore was was really the the pivotal moment. I'm smiling right now. Um, you know, I think for me, college was also that kind of time where, you know, I had that realization of like, hey, if I, you know, hate doing this in class and I have to spend the rest of my life, 
for in a nine to five doing this thing or something similar. And again, it's not necessarily, you know, fair to say that every time, but that was just like it, the biggest mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, I was just kind of like seeing myself fall, fall into a pattern. Um, so you, you graduate college and then, you know, you go on to, you know, work at a, a, you know, a couple of different companies like, you know, Google and, and, and YouTube doing that, you know, leading that different kind of design, you end up writing this book, your first book sprint. And, you know, it's, you know, the, the title of it is solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days, you know, and you're really going into this, you know, kind of how to get stuff done. And then, you know, what you're focusing on now about, you know, how to, redesign time i think that's a very interesting progression um was you know was this chapter of your life now just sort of you know transitional from writing sprint and and having all these different kinds of jobs or um you know did again like did did something (laughs) in your life happen that that you know made you look at time in a different way or the speed or productivity or all these different things that you know for me at least I used to be sort of um obsessed out and still kind of am to be honest with you yeah yeah on 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 productivity you mean you were obsessed with productivity yes yeah optimization totally yeah and I I was too and I think um you know in a in a different way I still am but but to answer your question, it was not uh, – the progression was not planned at all. Um, I didn't even plan to write a book. I never dreamed of writing a book. I wasn't like one of those people growing up who's like, mm. I just want to write a book someday. Um, I have found that when I make plans or when I set goals, um, those things n- rarely end up happening Uh and better things end up happening instead. But the, and and even in the cases where the plans end up happening, they they don't go the way I think they're going to, or they don't end up being what I think they're going to be. And so, um, the 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 big like insight for me, the thing that I realized when I reflected on all the work that I was doing, um, and just for a little bit of background, the 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 sprint stuff. So. Um, that came up when I was working at Google Ventures, which is a VC firm that yeah. is funded by Google and invests in outside startups. And I was in a role there called design partner, which meant that my job was to work with the companies in the portfolio, sort of like a consultant, and use my background as a designer and as a writer to help them with whatever they were doing. If it was creating a new product, adding a feature, reaching new customers, launching new marketing, going into a new uh, business, new segment of the market, whatever. And um, in doing that work, I realized that I couldn't have all the answers. There was no way that I was ever going to be the expert in all these different fields and be that, you know, much as I, as I love the idea of being that brilliant guy who like sits down with any entrepreneurs, like, here's what you got to do. Here's the secret. Now that's just like, that is, that is not the way it works. And anybody who, who tells you it is, is lying. And, uh, and so, so I was fortunate enough to realize that. And I, I realized that my job was to help these teams find the answers 
not to give them the answers. And so um, we recruited a guy named Jake Knapp, uh, who was a designer at Google to join us at Google Ventures. And he had been experimenting with this thing that he called a design sprint. And the idea was to, if you're working on something new in the course of a week to generate ideas for how you might go after that opportunity and then prototype them and then put that prototype in front of customers and test it. The idea being that instead of uh, toiling away for weeks or months or even years in some cases, trying to get all the details right and then launching it and hoping that you got it, um, you can do that in just a few days in a design sprint. Um, and so Jake joined our team. We started running these design sprints together with, with lots and lots of companies and eventually ran about 150 design sprints with companies including Uber and Slack and Nest uh, and a bunch of really interesting companies that nobody's ever heard of, uh, but not because they're not successful, just because they're not household names like uh, Flatiron Health, which was acquired for $2 billion by Roche uh, a couple months ago, um, uh, Foundation Medicine, which is a cancer diagnostics company that went public a few years ago. Anyway, um, we were using the sprint process as a way of, of helping these companies find answers to their questions and help them solve their problems. But I realized looking back on it that part of what we've been doing the whole time was helping them make better use of their time. You know, it doesn't matter how sophisticated or well-run the company is. When you go inside and you talk to the people and you look at how they work, everybody feels like they have too many meetings, too many emails. They're getting distracted constantly. People are interrupting them. They've got open office plans where, where you know, it's impossible to concentrate. And the design sprint is a way to wipe away all of those defaults, all those normal things that happen. And for one week with one team focused on one problem to set a new, uh, create a new set of defaults that really value people's time, value their attention and allow them to pour their energy into the thing that is most important to them at work. So, so I realized that and, um, and that kind of fed into this, this mission that I had already been on as an individual to make good use of, of my time. That's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, in the book, I really liked the, uh, the pictures that you guys had in there. Thank you. You know, I just, uh, yeah. you know, I'm a visual learner and that just, that just helped me get it a lot more. Well, we wanted to, sorry to, to cut in here, but, but like Jake and I are both designers and also writers and we wanted to design a book that was much more approachable and usable than the typical book where, you know, it's 300 pages of, of, of words on a page and you're supposed to sit down and read the entire thing beginning to end. Uh, we wanted a book that people could flip through. They could skim, they could read one section and then put it down and pick it up later. They could use it as a reference. So that's, that's part of why we, we, um, why there's so many illustrations. Yeah. So when, you know, you launch this book sprint, you know, I, I think I've definitely heard of it before, but you know, I wasn't really big into books and I was a pretty young guy back in 2012 and I wasn't really a reader, but, um, you know, I've got to assume that it was a pretty big deal. Like it went on the New York times list and I believe wall street journal too. So like, um, yeah, did that, um, did that phase you at all? Or like, were, were you starting to get known as the kind of, um, time efficiency expert, you and Jake or, or anything like that? We had to, so Jake and I both 
had similar to you, we had we had kind of been obsessed with productivity and with optimizing our time, and we had we had burned out on that that sort of pursuit um, because I think it can feel it can feel very unhuman. It can feel very mechanized and robotic, and and so we had moved moved past that, and and together we would talk a lot about um, ways of improving our energy, improving our focus, our attention, making time for the things that we wanted to be doing. And not not to say that those were not work, but including at work, making time for the parts of our jobs that were really valuable and important. And but but we we actually had to intentionally reframe the kind of our thinking and the and the stuff that we were writing about and and what we were known for um, to make this pivot from Sprint, which was all about teams, startups, and so on into uh, into make time, which is all about individuals. It's all about time. It's all about, um, you know, kind of the everyday choices that people make. So um, definitely when the definitely having having sprint out has been I mean, it's been an amazing experience. It's um, lots of people have read the book. Um, people love the book, uh, considering it's like a kind of a, a nerdy like like, you know, this is like process for how to, you know, do stuff at work. Like considering that people um, really connect with it and really, they really appreciate it. And so it doesn't like, you know, people don't come up to me on the street or anything like that. But if I'm like at a conference or something where there's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's sort of uh, in the same realm, people definitely tell me, you know, talk to me about the book and ask questions and ask me to sign the book. And that's really a cool experience. But I think one of the, one of the things that has been interesting for me to look back on now is that when we wrote that book, we still worked at Google Ventures. And the book was a project that was was kind of sort of a personal project and kind of sort of a work project. But we definitely, we, we worked at Google Ventures and Google Ventures was supportive of the book. They helped us promote it and so on. But that meant that we were... I don't want to say limited by what we could do, but we were we were looking at things through a very narrow lens, a very a very focused lens, which is that we everything we were doing was to help Google Ventures get access to uh, to invest in the best startups and then help those startups succeed. And now I'm I'm realizing that there are a million different things that I could be doing to build off of the success of that book, including teaching people how to run their own design sprints, which is something that I'm doing now, um, including expanding it into other, you know, other areas like, you know, the new book, Make Time, um, you know, creating new kinds of, of content and tools and products and trainings and events. Um, and so I'm, I'm like still at the beginning of thinking about all that, all that stuff because I only left Google Ventures about a year ago. But it's been interesting for me to like remove that lens and then see what I see. Yeah. When I was uh, checking that out, I was wondering like that must be pretty interesting for you. And just out of curiosity, you and your co-author, Jake, you guys have written this 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 new book. What What do you think it is about you and you know your relationship with Jake that that makes it work to be able to consistently 
collaborate with each other and put out things on a you know professional large scale manner that's a good question yeah really <laughs> good question i'd be i would love to to hear how jake would answer that question because i think it'd be really interesting but i feel like it's a it's a special it's a special thing it's a special relationship it is it might be a once in a lifetime type thing to find somebody where um, where we do work so well together. And one of the things that we often talk about when we're working together on stuff is how how we're always surprised by how the other person approaches something. Like if somebody asks us, if we're, like if we're doing a design sprint training workshop, for example, together, and somebody asks a question, if, if I answer it first, then if Jake answers it second, I'll be like, oh, wow, like, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Or, you know, he just like, he has different ways of looking at things. Um, and we find that our two ways of approaching things are, are very complementary. Um, so for example, with writing the books, um, Jake is a, a really fantastic writer. And I think his, his particular strengths are in, uh, in telling stories, particularly personal stories in a way that's really, really resonant for people. And also um, explaining things that are often sort of heavy or or kind of um, get bogged down, uh, explaining those in really clear, crisp ways, really casual, approachable ways. And, you know, versus the way that, that I write is, you know, I, th- I like to think that it's also very crisp and direct, but I tend to be much more of a technical writer in the sense that I'm interested in organizing the information, um, making sure that it's structured very clearly, making sure that, um, you know, that, that the one thing that we want to say is, is coming through. Um, so almost more of an editor role in that sense. Um, but anyway, those are some of the, the things about, about writing specifically, but, but it is, uh, again, I just feel like it's a, it's a really special, um, partnership that we have. Beautiful. I think, you know, there is really, you know, no other way to put this, but, you know, Steve Jobs has said that the computer is a bicycle for the mind. And in other words, just meaning, you know, you can kind of sit on it, whether it's your phone and really just you know, whether it's you write away or you code away or you email away. And, you know, we're living in great times where, you know, we've got tools that, you know, give us the, you know, the the ability or maybe the option to create impact at our fingertips, connect with people that we would never been able to connect before, like we're doing right now. But at the same time, it's also kind of like a second different form of a rat race where, you know, you're just looking <laughs> at the pixels on your phone and, mm-hmm. you know, you want those numbers to go up and that causes us in turn to, <laughs> and I'm not saying this is necessarily, you know, wrong, but, you know, schedule everything out, um, do our do our work um, in between the, you know, the chances we get emails um, really not give time for, you know, single-minded work. And, you know, so I think the, t- the timing of your book could not be any better 
at all. Um, so thank you very much for that. And, you know, I want to get, you know, your take on this, but, you know, your book really just dives into like the subtitle is how to focus on what matters every day. And like, I've never heard this quote, but I think it's my new favorite now. And it's by Mahamta Gandhi. And he says, there is more to life than increasing its speed. Yeah. I, I think that, like you said, we are living in an amazing time um, because the technology that we have available can enable us to do things that even just like 50 years ago, 30 years ago would have been so would have been magical. Mm. Um, the idea of even something that just seems totally mundane now, but like the idea of downloading an entire book to your phone, um, to this thing in your pocket, um, and it, it takes like five seconds. That is totally amazing. Or um, I was just talking with with somebody about about traveling with Google Maps and how when mm. when you used to travel, it was like you know you might have a map with you, like you you had to plan everything out in advance. I mean, you, there were basically there were two ways to go. You could like you could either have no plan and and be like really like kind of, you know, going with the flow and like hoping, you know, that you were going to be able to ask people for directions. They're going to help you. And if there's a language barrier, you're hoping you could navigate that. And, and to be quite honest, like I am not that adventurous. So that is not how I would travel, but like in the, <laughs> yeah. you know, before smartphones, um, the other option was to plan everything out, right. To have an itinerary and to have like, you know, okay, at this time, we're going to leave and we're going to go to this place. We're going to get on this train. It's going to take us to this thing that we're going to, you know, sightseeing thing that we're going to do. But now you can get off a plane somewhere, whether it's in your home country or, or somewhere far, far away. And even if you don't speak the language and you don't know anything about the culture or the city, you can get around. You can find, um, you can find your way. You can find interesting things to do. So anyway, so I think that these are, are things that are like, I mean, there might be little, little sort of complaints you could make about spontaneity or I don't know, something, but like, I think they're pretty much universally, these are, are good things that we can now do that we could never do before. Totally. It's amazing. amazing. But, but I, I think that there's also things that technology can do that sort of, um, take advantage of some of our worst impulses as humans. And that's not even the right way to say it. They're not bad impulses. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, think of something as simple as distraction. And think about a prehistoric human in a world where there were no cities, there, was, there were no cars, nothing like that. If you get distracted, meaning that your, your attention is drawn to something other than what you were doing, there's probably a good reason for it. It's probably an animal moving. It's probably another person. It's maybe it's a, it's a, a, the branch of a tree is falling or, you know, something is going on that is worthy of your attention. And so that is a very helpful tendency for us to develop as humans. Another example is um, the, there's this psychological principle called, uh, I always get the exact wording of it, but it's called either random rewards or variable rewards, um, which is basically the idea that 
it basically explains why slot machines are addictive. So like if if there's an action that you can perform that's mm. like easy and low cost and there's a chance that something good will happen, um, even if most of the time like nothing happens, but if there's a chance that something good will happen, our human brains find that very, very compelling. We just want to keep doing it over and over. And, and that, you know, again, if you think back to like the prehistoric human, that's a very useful inclination to have because let's say you are out gathering um, or hunting and you know you're looking for food and that's just what you do like a, a good chunk of every day you're kind of out you're walking around you're you're looking for for vegetables for fruits for animals um, and you know some days you might not come back with much you might get a little bit you might get a few things nothing great but every once in a while there's a chance that something truly amazing is going to happen you're going to find you know some you know the mother load of 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 berries on a bush you're going to you're going to kill a huge animal that's going to feed you and your your tribe for days um and so there's kind of this uh this innate tendency that we have to seek out these variable rewards and so i think when you look at smartphones in particular and and smart watches which are uh really kind of ramping things up and you look at notifications and email and social media, um, these, these apps, um, they kind of take advantage of these innate characteristics and tendencies that we have, um, which explains why they're so widespread and so ubiquitous. And I think we are now at a very interesting point mm. where, you know, these things are really only, you know, email has been around for like 30 years, but smartphones the iPhone came out in 2007 and it didn't have third-party apps for a little while. So really we're not, we're about 10 years into this current, I guess, paradigm of, of interacting with these types of technologies. And I think we're at a really interesting point where we're all trying to figure out how to get the best from these modern technologies while not letting them run our lives because it seems like they they certainly have the the potential to do that. Mm, yeah. And I liked how in the book you have this chart of, you know, it shows, you know, the last 200,000 years of human history and, you know, basically for the most part, you know, it's filled up with um, you know, homo sapiens humans just in a hunter gather kind of society. And then we invent farming or we discover farming, whatever. And then you just kind of get like this explosion of all these different forms of technologies, <laughs> uh, like factories, office jobs, Pop-Tarts, uh, the internet, cars. And then it leads up to like email, Snapchat, all these different things. And it's just like, you know, the humans have recently separated yeah. from the environment or maybe created a new environment. And just like you pointed out, we've got a lot of this um, chemical and biological infrastructure that is not living in that world. And, you know, I think it's cause for all sorts of things. And, you know, I've read dozens of, you know, different articles and books talking about how, you know, when you get a notification, you've, you know, you get that hit of dopamine and it just puts you in this you know, sort of uh, yeah. infinite, uh, yeah. you know, chemical cycle, like you guys talk about in your book. And, you know, I just think it's, I think it's fascinating because ultimately it's not like this approach to say like, oh, technology is bad or anything like that. It's just like, hey, 
you're a human, you've got certain limitations. This technology now just gives us more agency and more power over it. And if you still want to, you know, live your life with complete freedom, you know, it's best to maybe follow or, or be mindful or be even conscious or, or have the awareness of some of these things because they are coming so fast, like you said, like just in the last nine, 10 years. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's the the world around us has changed much more quickly than we have as humans. Evolution is slow. It takes a long time. Um, but but like you said, we've we've completely changed our world. Uh, I like how you said we've we've created a new environment for ourselves in you know in like the last depending on how you look at it you know the last five to fifteen thousand years. Um, and that and there's no way that that we can evolve quickly enough to keep up with those changes. So so in order to 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 thrive in the world that we have today. We need to exercise our our abilities as you know humans who can who can think and who can make plans and who can do things and change things, design things. Um, we need to exercise those abilities to to position ourselves to make the most of all the great things that we have at our disposal. Um, and f- for for Jake and me, um, we. We think a lot about how we can make some of these distracting technologies less distracting because we know and we, we have felt that um, that feeling of, you know, picking up our phone for just a quick check of something, you know, and it's usually there's usually like a, a specific reason, you know, a specific thing you want to look at. And then. And then 30 minutes later, mm-hmm. setting it down and be like, like, whoa, what happened? Like, I didn't I didn't set out to look for at, at Twitter and Instagram for 30 minutes, but that's what happened. And so one of the changes that we read about in the book that we encourage people to try is to come up with ways that they can create barriers to distraction so that we don't have to exercise willpower. We don't have to like try to be the most, uh, you know, the sort of like white knuckle, you know, uh, iron willed person who, who resists checking uh, these interesting infinity pool apps, these things that have infinite sources of content in them. But instead, how can we how can we continue to change this environment that we're in, change the environment around us to make it more difficult Mm -hmm. to get distracted in the first place? A great book that I read is Willpower Doesn't Work by uh, Benjamin Hardy. And it makes it makes a very compelling case for that. And I think once you know that, you can kind of start to set, you know, routines like you know, technology hygiene routines or, you know, whatever you call it. Like I know for me, you know, I'm very much, my life is heavily intertwined with technology. But for me, what I found to be the most comfortable is not, and I think we talked about this before, but not looking at my phone for the first hour and the last hour of the day, as well as just completely shutting off all notifications of any kind. Because, you know, when you're, when you're in your day and you're, you're doing something and, you know, you're living life, you're in the present moment, and then all of a sudden, you know, you hear or, or whatever it is, and it's a, it's a text or it's this or it's that. <laughs> It just kind of takes you out of that moment. And for me, you know, I would rather, you know, very much, you know, do something for two hours and then doing something else for two hours and then do something else for 
else for two hours, not necessarily just kind of like half being with my life, like half hanging out with people and then half hanging out in like a digital world responding to people. And ultimately, I found that when I choose it, when I choose to to look at my phone for me, for the most part, um, that's um, that's that's been a great sort of hygiene for me. And the reason, especially in the morning, why I think it's so powerful is when you look at your phone, you look at your email, you look at your Twitter, you look at whatever it is. Um, Dean, Dean Grazioso said this, and it's it, you're basically playing Russian roulette, and it, you could wake up. <laughs> Yeah, with your with your with your mental state, right? With your emotional state. Exactly, exactly. Like you could wake up to an email that like just is, is bad news, and then you're you're setting off the intention for the day, and it's just not there, you know. Versus something that you guys talked about in the book, and it's all about you know sort of making highlights for your day, which I have found to be you know just huge, huge in terms of the actual. Or maybe it's just my perception of it, but in terms of the meaningful awesome. work that I actually end up getting yeah. done throughout the day, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, I'm I'm really glad to hear that that is working for you. Um, and uh, you know, you said maybe it's the perception, but like I'm one of those people who kind of believes that perception is reality. Um, and 100%. and and since you mentioned a couple of books, I'll mention one of my own, which is this book called Wrapped by Winifred Gallagher, where she makes the argument that the way you experience your life is not what happens to you, but it's what you pay attention to. And that was one of those pivotal books for me, something that I read about 10 years ago that kind of set me down this path of realizing that I can kind of, I can reverse engineer each day to make sure that I'm paying attention to the things that I want to think of as my life. You know, if I if I want to think of my life as being a life of having long stretches of uninterrupted time to spend with friends, with my wife, to work on things that are interesting and I think help, uh, you know, help other people, then I need to kind of engineer my my day and my life to make those things happen because um, those are the things that I'm going to remember. Those are the ways that I'm going to think about my life, how I'm going to think of myself, which is self-reinforcing. Um, so, so yeah, the, the highlight um, practice, this idea of every day choosing one thing that you want to prioritize and protect in your calendar, that is a huge, um, a huge practice for me. It's something that's, that we read about a lot in the book and that, that has really helped me um, – make it feel like time is moving more slowly, but also um, in a very real sense, help me make time for those things that I want to mm. be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's really what life is all about. And, you know, kind of going back to, you know, us disconnecting from our environment. One thing that I liked about the book is, you know, you, you guys really paid attention to just kind of a holistic approach of, like our physiology and the different kinds of health implications that end up, you know, impacting our performance that end up changing how we, you know, conversate with people and what our mood is and all these different kinds of things. And I think, you know, overall, like for me, I've learned that food and, and exercise and, and even how much sleep I get is, is just pivotal. And then all the way things like, 
the kind of coffee that I'm drinking, how I'm drinking it. Um, you know, there's this thing you guys talk about in the book called uh, a, a caffeine or a coffee nap. Um, I have I haven't done that yet, but I'm I'm willing to try it. But um, but I but I but I think it's just unbelievably important to just be mindful of the stuff, especially when like you're living in a world where you know on your break you can just stop by like uh you know like a quick place and grab like you know a chocolate bar like grab grab this grab that and i think that's just so important and i don't think it's talked about enough in this kind of um perspective right yeah we i think that one of the defaults in our world today is that the the brain and the body are separate things there's a lot of yeah. books and articles and videos and podcasts and courses you could take and all sorts of things about how to make your brain better, you know, how to be more productive, how to make better decisions, how to be a better manager or, or better designer, engineer, whatever. Um, and then separately, there's a million books you could read and videos you could watch about how to be healthy, about how to exercise and eat the right foods and get enough sleep. But these things are actually connected. I, I don't know where this weird separation came from. I mean, if you've ever like had you know an, a sort of abnormally big lunch, or you know, like eaten a eaten a big plate of pasta for lunch instead of like I don't know something a little bit lighter, and then in the afternoon you kind of felt like your brain's a little fuzzy. Like that's the that's the body and brain working together right there. If you've ever you know like you know, had a night where you stayed up too late and then had to get up early and then you kind of feel sluggish the whole day. Like that's the connection right there. Um, if you've, you know, ever had the feeling of being really clear headed, you know, like you have sort of a, 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 you know, a lightness in your step, a skip in your step after exercising, that's, that's the, it right there. And so there's all these little isolated feelings and experiences that we have that remind us of this brain body connection but for some reason our culture our society um encourages us to think of them as separate things and so um we really want people to acknowledge that those are connected and that you can't make good use of your time and you can't enjoy your time if you don't have energy and you're not healthy um and we also want people to think about taking care of their bodies, not for the like long-term abstract someday goal of being healthy or living longer or whatever, which are all, you know, good things to do, but for the immediate benefit of having energy for what you care about today. So don't exercise because you might live longer. Exercise because you're going to feel better today. Don't get a good night of sleep because you, you read somewhere that people who get enough sleep are less likely to have cancer. Uh, get enough sleep so that you can enjoy tomorrow. Um, and, and that's really our, our philosophy is that the brain and the body are connected, that you can improve the way you feel by making relatively minor changes in the defaults of, of your lifestyle. And that the reason to do those things is so that you can make time for what you care about today. 100%. I don't know who said this, but the best drugs in life are free. <laughs> and if you can tie that in, I think, <laughs> I think it works uh, beautifully. So one, one thing I just wanted to, to touch on, and we could start wrapping up here. I've talked about this a bunch on my podcast, and it's the 
the power of the practice of meditation. And you guys talked about tricking yourself into meditation. What? How? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to. I have to be straight with you. I do not meditate. Um, I have tried it, and and I enjoy it. Um, uh, Well, before I I talk more about myself, I will say that that my my co-author Jake he loves meditating and the reason he describes it as tricking himself into meditating is that he uses uh headspace which is an mm-hmm. app that kind of guides you through the process of meditation and for him it's like um he feels like it's a trick because because a it took away all of the like kind of heavy intimidating parts of of meditation and because it kind of feels like a game like it You know, the way that that he's explained it to me is like he doesn't feel like he has to like, you know, set aside the time and sit down and have this like perfectly quiet room and this comfortable place to sit and everything. He like he meditates Mm -hmm. like when he's riding the bus, you know, and like waiting in line somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really he's able to do that because he's using Headspace. Um, And then it has some some game like features where it will, for example, it'll give you little like badges, rewards after you've meditated a certain number of days in a row. Um, and so for, for him, and this, this is one of the tactics in the book for him, um, using an app like Headspace or Oak, um, and I'm I'm sure there are, there are many others, but, um, using something like that is sort of a way of, of, you know, easing your way into this practice that, that you know is good for you, that everybody says is good for you, but maybe you just haven't quite found a way to, to work it into your day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I don't think it's uh, it's a necessity to meditate. Like for me, uh, just because I found it, you know, to be a great tool for me, I do it every day. But I think for some other people, you know, you, your meditation yeah. can just be some different form of an activity where like your brain does take a rest, where it does take um, you know, some kind of like mindfulness uh, kind of exercise that is really, I would also define that as meditation as well. So I think there's a lot of different ways we could look at it for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the reason why I don't meditate in a, mm-hmm. I guess, a, a true sense, a proper sense. Um, it's because I have a lot of, I've sort of designed my days around having mm-hmm. a lot of quiet time and a lot of space. Um, so I, I, I walk a lot. Um, I'm, I have this weird sort of, uh, love for doing, doing things the hard way, doing chores. Um, uh, there's actually a tactic in the book about this. It's called inconvenience yourself. And, and my, my belief is that, um, by questioning some of the things that we do that are often very convenient and very nice, like, um, ordering, uh, delivery or or you know using our mm. phone to order um, something that we we need um, to buy um, that there's sort of a, an interesting and strange fascination or not fascination but um, satisfaction that comes from like actually yeah. going and like walking to the store and carrying the, the big heavy bags and like and so by you know or, you know doing the doing the laundry like um, cleaning you know cleaning your house like uh, these things that are, I think um, there seems to be like you know, every day there seems to be like new apps and new companies that are like trying to make your life as convenient and as streamlined as possible by by eliminating chores. Um, one of the 
benefits of doing those things yourself is that those kind of almost become little meditative times. Those become times when your brain is not fully engaged in the task because, you know, like cleaning the floors is just not that hard. And so it frees up your mind to 